So welcome back to another episode of Sustainably Influenced. Second episode already. Hope you guys are having a great start to the new year. I am going to be talking about greener, cleaner products in this episode. I think you need that sometimes because you're a trusted voice in the industry and then you're then facilitating these smaller brands or sometimes larger brands that people might not know what it is that they're doing. And they are experts in their field to be able to come on and say, look at these amazing products, you should be using this. So have you ever found yourself navigating the beauty aisle, bombarded with labels like clean, green, eco and organic? Well, buckle up because in today's episode, we're unraveling the mystery behind these buzzwords and exploring the wild world of eco-conscious beauty. I recently started a series on Instagram and TikTok where I provide short and simple definitions for some of the most commonly used terms. So this episode's going to be a little bit like that. Understanding terminology is not as straightforward as it sounds. While these labels might make us feel like environmental superheroes, the reality is a a fair bit murkier. The beauty industry loves to toss around terms like confetti at a party, but are they really living up to their eco-friendly promises? Today, we're chatting with two great brands who champion real great ingredients and questioning if natural or organic on that skincare label are more marketing magic than Mother Nature's touch. The UK law might have given the green light to brands claiming their products are organic, even if it's only a really teeny tiny fraction of the ingredients that are truly organic, which we'll hear about more in a few weeks. It's really sneaky, isn't it, when you think about it? We're not here to rain on the eco-conscious parade. And for long-term listeners, you'll know that Sustainably Influenced is all about equipping you with the knowledge to understand what it all means. We're demystifying the certifications and deciphering the code between terms like clean and natural, green and eco and even organic. It's like learning a new language, but instead of verbs and nouns, we're decoding the language of eco-conscious beauty. So what does it really mean when a brand calls itself a green beauty brand? Spoiler alert, it's not as regulated as you might think. So from packaging practices to ethical sourcing, a lot goes into the makings of a beauty product that truly walks the walk when it comes to being green. Plastic waste is no longer just an eyesore. It's infiltrated every nook and cranny of our environment, even the deepest ocean trenches. So imagine this for a second. More than half of the plastic we produce is for stuff we use once and then throw away. And the average European or American, they're clocking in at around 100 kilograms of plastic each year. And guess what? Most of it's from our beloved beauty products. And as climate change is taking centre stage globally, beauty brands are really having to step up their game. We're spotlighting the trailblazers, creating products and packaging that scream eco-friendly and sustainable. So this is why I kind of wanted to do this episode, because I think it's good for us all to go on that journey together that sort of emphasises that we can be kind to our skin and the planet and do it in a fun way of learning through a podcast. So, yeah. Let's speak to today's guest. Anola has emerged as a beacon of eco-conscious beauty and we're thrilled to have Suzanne Duckett, the visionary behind Anola, joining us to unravel the secrets of their success. So striking the delicate balance between delivering effective skincare solutions and ensuring sustainability is no small feat, but the journey to a cleaner, greener beauty doesn't end with them. Suzanne has some real golden nuggets of advice for us and for other brands and manufacturers looking to embrace this transformative trend. So today I'm joined by Suzanne and it's good for us to just get straight into these questions. So 
in a beauty landscape where consumers are prioritizing clean and sustainable ingredients. How has Enola positioned itself to meet these growing demands? Oh, it's a tough one, Bianca, because there's not really the binary answer. Each brand has its own virtues. And we all know that diversity is the secret to life, literally. So what I'm doing is handpicking, I'm being my sort of 30 year long editor, and I'm handpicking brands that I trust the founder or the formulator or their philosophy. And usually it's a combination of all three. People ask me if there's a tick list for the brands that we take on. And there's sort of there is and there isn't. They obviously have to be green and sustainable. And what I mean by that is they have to be looking at what their packaging is, how recyclable their packaging is, what are they doing with the packaging or the the parts of their ingredients or packaging that aren't so sustainable? How are they looking at bettering it? Because not everyone can be squeaky green overnight. Some brands are absolutely soil association certified. The consumer that really wants that trusted organic, we have a selection of that. Other customers might have different skincare needs and some of those ingredients that they need are not from the soil. So the brands that will not have certification and they're not pretending to be organic or pretending to be 100% natural, we're looking at those other ingredients and asking, I'm asking the questions. So I'm doing that homework for the consumer because it's really difficult to have one brand that's perfect to everything. It's a journey to get there and not everybody is perfect. It really is. And and frankly, Bianca, unless we're making our own avocado pulped face mask and then even by that, as long as the avocado's not been flown in all around the season, all around the world, and then that homemade avocado organic mask isn't so sustainable. You know, we're hypocrites in many ways, but we're trying our best. And I think that certainly for me, with 30 years of journalism behind me, and then going into retail, is I know how to ask the questions to really go down layer to layer to layer to layer, not to catch people out, but to just understand, well, The bits that aren't maybe where we'd like them to be, at least I can talk to my customers about that. And at least we can talk to the brands about, well, what are you doing about it to make it better? And, you know, also, as you all know as well, the beauty industry, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors go on. And I'm not even talking about the greenwashing because that's such a complicated subject. Even with something like bamboo, I'm looking at with certain brands, you know, bamboo's not that necessarily sustainable. Okay, it's not plastic and it's not another substance that's less recyclable but you can only use it once so you're still producing a living thing to kill it off to use make something and all the energy that takes to use it once because certainly in the hotel world you can't have that unhygienic potential so they throw them away so sometimes plastic if you're using it over and over and over and over and over again and you're refilling and refilling and refilling and refilling that actually could be better than what we think is a natural packaging piece you know so we've got a lot to learn we really have the whole industry and the whole consumer base definitely 100% agree with you on that and I've been known for asking the controversial question of is there a place for plastic you have to do like a cost benefit analysis on it and see where there is a place for these things and sometimes as you said it can be better this episode is all about cleaner greener ingredients and we're sort of spotlighting them so I thought it'd be a good time to ask you about your formulations can you share some of the insights into challenges that you faced into sourcing either the products that you're creating yourself or things that you're bringing on and onboarding onto the brand and how you're incorporating sort of greener ingredients into Enola's product formulations or ensuring that other brands are doing that yeah absolutely I mean again it's this wonderful relationship I have with the brand founders who 
you know, I'm proud to say when they get taken on Enola, they're so thrilled because they understand that I understand them and that they understand me and we can really work together. So they are the ones that are educating me because they are such experts. So for instance, I'll give you an example, someone like Tanya Hawks and Esme Hawks of Therapy Honey Skincare, mother and daughter team. Tanya's a beekeeper. Her daughter Esme is an ecologist. What they don't know about clean ingredients, and you know, some people have got a real issue with the word clean, and I don't. Just like I understand what clean clothes are, I understand what clean dishes are, you know, I understand what a clean body is. It's trying to look after ourselves without using chemicals to get there. That's quite obvious to me. So I'm going to use the word clean and people that have an issue with it, then that's fine. But I don't. Non-toxic products is what I what I class as clean. So those kind of brands that are using ingredients that they really, really know about. I mean, what that brand doesn't know about honey and propolis and also their ingredients of food state. So they could put them in food products should they want to. They're working with wildlife protection. I'm going to those brands to say, you tell me about your ingredients, you educate me. So that's really what I'm doing, Bianca, is is making sure that I trust the people I'm buying from because they've done so much homework that I could ever dream of doing in that specific field. Other brands might have more biotech ingredients. So they're working with that field. So I can ask them about that field. So between all my founders... I've got this sort of clean and green and or botanical or biotech portfolio. I think you need that sometimes because you're a trusted voice in the industry and then you're then facilitating these smaller brands or sometimes larger brands that people might not know what it is that they're doing. And they are experts in their field to be able to come on and say, look at these amazing products. You should be using this. And with that, Bianca, is, is also for me efficacy. And that's why... In my list of criteria for taking a brand on, it's it has to work. You know, you can be the the greenest, cleanest, most vegetable ink packaged, recyclable cardboard, no plastic, all glass, but your products might not work. And I don't want to have them on my shelves because at the end of the day, like you, like me, I want my products to work. So whether it's honey and how it's antibacterial, great for people with blemished skin, whether it is an ingredient that they're telling me this is 100% organic, or this is this, or this is that, I'm kind of, okay, but what does it do? What does it do for my skin? What does it do for my customer's body? What does it do for their kid's acne? So that's also hugely important, which sometimes I think in this industry of sustainability, eco, and greener, we're not asking the question, does it work? (laughs) Have you done some trials? As a founder, I want to know, how do you navigate the delicate balance between delivering that effective skincare and ensuring the sustainability of the products used? Because as you said, asking the question, does it work? It's easy for us to ask that of others. How are you then ensuring that within your own brand? Yeah, I think it goes back to what I call my sort of diversity of choice within the shelves. And I I think it's the same with me with food. The parallels between how I look at what I'm eating and what I have in my cupboards and my fridge where I'm spending more money on things that have to be non-negotiable, certified organic compared to, okay, so maybe that product isn't as natural, inverted commas, as maybe that certified organic brand I'm using for my conditioner that I'm leaving on and the products I'm leaving on my skin. And opposed to, ah, that ingredient that's got a little bit of salicylic acid, which we know is never going to be certified, or it's not going to maybe hit that 100% natural mark on marketing but I know that that's going to work 
for blemish skin. And it is, as I say, with my food, it's like, you know, I've got non-negotiable soft fruits, salads, meat, dairy, non-negotiable organic. Now, am I going to then maybe buy something from somewhere else that's not going to hit those marks, but affordability, practicality has got to be in there. So that's what I was saying at the beginning, this non-binary, there's not, you've got to have this lovely sort of dance going on about what I'm prepared to maybe compromise a bit on. But obviously within those compromises, there are non-negotiables as well. Honestly, my bathroom cabinet and my bedside table and my bath bridge, yes, I do have a bath bridge. It's such an eclectic mix. I don't use anything I don't sell anymore. I think I've come to the end of everything. And of course, I've got a gaggle of products that I'm testing for brands that want to come on board. I mean, I buy my own stuff from my own shop. I literally tap my card on. You know, it's my business. It's not a charity. It's not a hobby. So I have to buy from the brands I'm buying from, just like a normal consumer. And I have got this really nice mix of, sure, you know, people like Dr. Organic that we also stock. Definitely, you know, it's the most affordable organic brand. Does that always hit the mark for me with sensorial? Not always. Some of their products do, some of them don't. So I think we've got to have this a bit like fashion, treat beauty and well-being a bit like fashion. We've got this wardrobe and there's some things are a bit more high street and affordable. And then there's our designers and our luxuries. And just that's bringing that in. Could you highlight some of the key initiatives or practices that set you apart in terms of commitment to sustainability? Yeah, I, it's really such a good question. I had to actually really unravel because everything we do is actually to encourage people to fall in love with their own inner nature and therefore outer nature because we are nature and I know you understand that but it's not there's nature and there's humans and we sort of coexist we are codependent and every single time we open if we're doing a pop-up like we are at the moment if we open the door or online we are educating and we're talking to the customer day in day out so for me I feel that that's activism in and of itself I would rather someone comes in and learns more about what their things are doing as they flush down the plug hole, what those wipes are doing, how long those wipes. I mean, I have customer conversations all the time about wipes, for instance, about the fact that, especially if they're of a certain age, I'll say, do you know that the wipes you're using on your face might outlive your grandchildren? And they're kind of, oh, wow. You know, they when you make it that relatable, they get it. So I think day to day to day to day, we're doing that. We're educating, we're chatting we're informing, we're learning from them, we're questioning. So I think that's an ongoing, and that's what Anola's all about, is helping people learn. And I do it with my own friends and family, you know, and I don't lecture them as much as I used to, to be fair. But if they are using things that I know are not very good for the environment or for their health, just have a chat about that. So that's first and foremost. But in terms of, I guess, more public campaigns, I mean, certainly, again, the events we do, we did an event recently with a brand, we were talking about endocrine disruptors, and we had about 40 women, fine, all of a menopausal age. And that's, we definitely did that for the month of October around menopause. But we'll be doing something again with teenage skin with the same brand. And that's really talking about the skin being the largest organ, and again, educating people about their own health, so again, our events are really much, they're sort of little campaigns within themselves. And then, yeah, the more public, I guess, forward facing would be something like September this year, we did linked up with the Soil Association and I did a climate conscious curation of which we were thrilled to give you one of those boxes. And it was handpicking those Soil Association certified products. So that went out to influencers and editors 
but also to consumers. We let our database, we sort of put that out to them to buy, but that it was full of, and you would have, you would have got a pack on what does, what does certification mean? And also just lifestyle tips on how to be more sustainable with our beauty habits. So it's that micro macro. I like to say it this way because I don't want you to feel like you're speaking on behalf of the whole of the beauty industry. But how can other beauty brands and manufacturers embrace the trend? I don't want to say trend, but I'm glad that it is a trend in order to make it the norm of cleaner, greener ingredients. And what advice would you give to those who are just starting to explore this path? I would say probably two things. I would go and talk to an organic farmer and I would go and find out what their challenges are as a farmer and what their opportunities are as a farmer and why they do what they do you know especially a farmer that's maybe inherited the farm that wasn't organic because again this mirroring of health and food and then beauty and well-being I think is so similar the similarities are so evident so I would probably go and speak to someone like that I'd also probably go and speak to someone in biotech and learn again because you know it's not all about the soil it's so important the soil the soil is our biggest mission to to make sure the soil is protected but I think the amount of people on the planet and the amount of things being produced we have to look at more vertical farming we have to look at biotech and I think I'm learning as well more and more that it's not it doesn't just need to come out the ground for it to be good for us. There's some really interesting stuff going on with, say, the herb world and more vertical farming and polytunnel farming. It takes up less space, less water. And I think let's follow what the pioneers in the food world are doing and bring that into the, our products because the health is so important. You know, everything I'm doing, it's not really about looking perfect and looking younger. For me, it's about not even looking, but being healthier and having healthy skin. And it is our largest organ on the body. So why would we not be looking at our beauty products and our well-being products and our shower products and our bath products in the same way as our marinades and our spices and our meats? And, you know, so that's what I would suggest, Bianca, is to go and, and be really curious, not just go, oh, there's those five brands are really cool and doing well. So we'll just do another version of them because they started a number of years ago and where you're at now is we know more than they did when they started. So what do you know now that they didn't know that you can incorporate into your products now? Just be really curious and just go into that blue water rather than all the red water where everyone is already. And think about well, what are we going to need more in two years time? Because it's going to take you probably two years to come to market. And two years time, things are going to have changed again. So it's just that having a, the magic crystal ball. And a lot of that's just your own gut instinct is you've got to do a brand that you really believe in. And it could be like Tanya and Esme with honey and propolis because that's what they love and they're good at. You know, it could be Reed Wild Beauty that have got an estate in Wales and they've got amazing plants to forage from. So what do you have within you that is special to you, that's unique to you? And then go and be curious and go and learn. Special thanks to today's guest. Suzanne Duckett. What an amazing conversation. I really enjoyed that actually. I love when I speak to guests and I come away feeling inspired. If you want to add to the conversation, make sure that you're following us on social media. For now, I'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening. Until then, you can subscribe and listen back to previous episodes of Sustainably Influenced on all good podcast platforms. You can follow at Sustainably Influenced on Instagram and TikTok. This season of Sustainably Influenced was produced by Content is Queen, sound editor Amber Miller and presented by Bianca Foley.